Welcome to Reputation Town. Welcome to the Reputation Town podcast. This is episode three. I'm John Paranak, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, uh, Warren Weeks. Um, th- this podcast is meant to be uh, two people who've had you know, 25 years experience in, in public relations and communications, talking about issues in the news, talking about things that uh, affect reputation, and hopefully seeing if there's some lessons that can be taken away from that from everyone out there, no matter what industry you may be in. Mm-hmm. Warren, how are you doing today? Doing okay. Rainy day in the suburbs. And uh, my I have a, you can't see me, but I have this hat covering my pandemic hair. I haven't had a haircut in like a year, and I look like a wild man. That's okay. You're not alone. I know. I mean, it's there's a lot of people my, in the in the uh, uh, long hair. There's a guy at work who has a he got a bit of a mullet going. That <laughs> he's got some people lobbying to to, to get a haircut. But um, well, sign of the times. I might have like I guess it depends how you define a mullet. That's like true. it's the flap at the back, right? And then it's short up front and long in the back. Well, I a... think so. He referred to it as people were calling it a mullet. I don't really think it's a mullet. It's not like Yammer Yager, you know. So it's like epic long all over the place, style. including at the back. Yeah, yeah. That's not a mullet. I know a, a mullet is just like that flap at the back. Yeah. What do they say? On, Bus- business the in the front. Business in the front. Party in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, th- I have some, it's, I got to take some pictures. It's crazy. Anyway, episode three, I'm pumped. Yeah, I am. This actually, I feel like I was, I, it's a little secret. I, I maybe didn't prepare for the first two. It's kind of like, woo, let's just try this. But now we're actually, yes, let's do this. Oh. Um, so to that point, is there anything that happened this week that uh, in our, in our sort of intro segment where we talk about stuff that's maybe off topic, anything interesting to you this week? Off-topic content. Off-topic banter. I, and I need to come up with a little jingle for this for next week. But oh, that's um, a good idea. So the thing that I, I... This has nothing to do with the news, but I've been in a Stevie Ray Vaughan rabbit hole the last month or so. And you know who he is, obviously. Yeah. And so what, what do you know about him? Like if you had to summarize in a couple sentences. A guitar... Famous guitar guy. That's it? That's it. Do you know, is he alive? He's dead. How did he I know, die? I, he's dead. I know that much. What happened to him? That I don't recall. Okay. So I knew just a little bit more, but like, so I started <laughs> one of my pandemic hobbies is I started playing the guitar. I went out and this is ridiculous, but after Eddie Van Halen died, I, I was very <laughs> emotionally traumatized by that incident. And I went and revisited a hobby from like 25 years ago that I could started and kind of bailed on. And I went and bought a guitar and I've been teaching myself how to play over the last, I don't know, like half a year or so. And so as I'm going through, I get into this, this rabbit hole of Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I, I'd known who he is and some of his songs and he died in a helicopter crash and he had huge uh, drug and alcohol substance issues. But um, I read a biography of him, a really great biography and just what a traumatic, very um, difficult life. And, and the guy was essentially almost homeless until the last couple of years of his career, like very little money wow. was couch surfing. Uh, like he, he just, he was an um, exceptional guitar player, but everything else in his life just disorganized and he would show up late and he would forget about gigs and stuff like that. But once you got him on stage, it was, it was magic. Um, anyway, the reason I bring it up is <clears throat> there are two videos on YouTube that I encourage people to check out, even if you don't like 
his music or whatever. But there's one of him and uh, Jeff Healy. Obviously, you remember Jeff Healy. Yeah. He's the guy, you know, Canadian guy, played the guitar on his lap because... He was blind, some, wasn't he? Yeah, someone gave him a guitar and he didn't... He'd never seen anyone, obviously, hold a guitar. He didn't know how you're supposed to do it. So he taught himself how to play it like that, which is incredible. But there's a video of the two of them playing a song, Look at Little Sister. And the it's just the fact that these two amazing musicians are no longer with us. But like that song has so much energy and like Jeff Healy at one point is he's doing a guitar solo sitting down and he stands up and he's like rocking with the guitar, no strap. He's holding the thing up. He can't see anything. It's such a good feeling and just the musical talent on that stage is, is crazy. Cool. And then the se the second one is like, this teaches you to me, this is like just a, a glimpse into mastery. You know, you see, you see people who are just exceptional at what they do, like the top, top 0.1% of their profession and like the hours that it takes to, to get that good. And so um, there's a, another video, Stevie Ray Vaughan playing the same song, Look at Little Sister, Austin City Limits. I think it's 1989, October 1989. And um, he is in the middle of the song and on his famous guitar. He's got this guitar number one, like he, this really old raggedy, just it's just worn down to the wood, this amazing guitar. And he blows a string halfway through the guitar solo. And so amazing thing, number one, is he doesn't miss a beat. He just moves the, the solo up a string, hmm. or I guess down a string to the sort of like the lower end strings, keeps playing. And then there's a little lull after his guitar solo. He looks over his shoulder at his guitar tech, who has a new guitar. He continues to sing, unstraps one guitar, takes it off. The other guy puts on the new guitar. He straps it on and continues to play wow. what, while not missing a beat. And just and then you hear the crowd just going crazy. But like that is just that would take me about forty five minutes to do <laughs> if I had to do it on my own. I'd stop the show. I'd be apologizing, but. Um, for anybody, and no matter, you know, to me, it was this little inspirational thing. No matter what you do, this was such a cool little moment. So those two videos, I really recommend people check out. One, just because it's just pure musical joy, and the other one is just the mastery of, of the craft. So it's a, not, this is like old, old news. We're talking like, you know, 20-some years ago, but uh, I just wanted to bring those up and, and share those. Hopefully you check them out. Like just That's cool. Vids. Yeah. I'll do that. How about yourself? I am this week. I've been seized by this, and maybe this is showing a window into my inner nerd. But um, I've just been seized by how poorly Canada has managed the COVID vaccine, and the fact that it, it almost seems there isn't a week that goes by when there isn't there isn't sort of a, a lunch bag letdown in terms of how much vaccine is arriving, how much we're getting. And, and the fact that we're in this situation in the first place, because the government decided that it was going to put all its chips on China and hope and hope that um, export from China or Europe was going to um, have Canadians toward the front of the list when it came to getting vaccine, mm. because we really don't have any domestic production that can support creation of COVID vaccines here. We used to. We used to, but we don't currently. Yeah. Who was and it? The, was it Mulroney and, or Harper? Who was it that that um, it was Connaught, wasn't it? That did that. You know, I don't know. I don't remember the detail. But regardless, you know, we're we're facing the worst public health crisis in a, in a in a 
century and the government decides that rather than, you know, shoring up Canadian, putting Canadian interests first, um, they're going to put their money on China. I don't know. It just seems to me that like, uh, it's one of those times I think we're going to look back on this and think good grief. This Uh, was a a ball that was dropped for sure. Like Um, disaster. It's uh, like, this is a war. This, this is, you know, I don't think that's too big a term. This is a war against this, this virus that is, and even just all the, the associated things, the fear of the virus and the whole, you know, how it's changing people's personalities and psychology and everything else. And like every single arm you get that shot into is one person that's not going to be able to um, spread it or get it. And, you know, yeah, say what you will about the United States. They've been kicking ass with the, oh my God. These, these vaccinations. <laughs> like they, and just the numbers, like they're doing more in a day than we've done to, to date. You know, that's, that's such a great point because I think a lot of people were, you know, ready to dunk on the U.S. And rightfully so earlier in the pandemic when their response was Bleach a complete and, cluster. Yeah. But, you know, the, the unmatched manufacturing and organizational uh, power of the United States is on full display where you've got more vaccine than you know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, just as a, an adjunct to this, it, it really shows that, you know, if you have the right manufacturing capabilities and you can produce it, all this nonsense about, Oh, we have to prioritize here and there. And it can only be between these ages and that ages. You know, if you, if you have, the manufacturing right and the distribution right, it doesn't matter. Just get mm-hmm. shots at arms. Yeah. Have people lined up. It doesn't matter what age they are. <laughs> Just get them in there and, and have shots done. And you start to see that in, the problem with that approach of uh, trying to, you know, be really regimented, limited about it. Even in Canada here where uh, there are now, you know, our, every day that goes by when there are unfilled vaccination slots at clinics. And that is, that is just um, that is just a disaster because there shouldn't be a moment when someone isn't getting a vaccine. If there's a vaccine yeah. to give, let's put it in someone's arm. It doesn't do any good on a shelf. It doesn't good, do any good in inventory. Yeah. Uh, every, every missed uh, slot of those vaccination appointments is a missed opportunity. So I say just scrap all that and just get, get shots in arms. But, and, and you know, not to, uh, to drag the government more than, than typical, but like just, you know, the, <clears throat> It's got to be a tough job, you know. I, you know, we, you know, I'm looking at, I don't know, Doug Ford, obviously the premier here in Ontario. People, some people love him, some people hate him. It's got to be hard to be a politician these days. You didn't sign up for this. I know you sign up for whatever happens, but you know, I don't think these these people have had a day off since the beginning of this, and it's got to be yeah. incredibly stressful. But like, this is this, you know, you, oh, there's a lot of finger pointing, you know the provinces blaming the federal government, federal Mm -hmm. government blaming the provinces. And just like, I know this might be simplistic and I'm not a scientist, but why is not in every town, the hockey arena is the vaccination center and it's open 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. and just show up, show up at three in the morning. And like, you know, like guys like us, like we're not, you know, we're not in the the elderly category yet. We're working on it, but (laughs) you know, you show up at 3am, pull up your sleeve, boom, you got a shot, go back home. And, that to me is like the, the sense of urgency, the, the willingness to shut down businesses, shut down restaurants and, you know, point to people and wear your masks and this and that and kids and schools. Where's that same urgency when it comes to the vaccine rollout? So That's totally on board with that. Totally on board. All right. Should we, should we 
segment two. Should okay, we well, di- just before we, just before we do, we- we'll jump into that. Yeah. I'd like to get your, you know, we're episode three. Um, probably no one's listening to this except our, I was going to say our families. I can't even get them to listen, but <laughs> reflections so far to episode 2.25 episodes in. What are your thoughts? I think this, uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, just doing it. It's a good, good opportunity to discuss these things. It's kind of like the banter that um, you'd have at work or, 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 you know, with friends in this case with a friend. Just mm. This reminds me of our lunches we used to have. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and the first and, Canadian place, uh, it also, grab lunch. It's, I find it interesting because it's also great to get different perspectives. Um, given that I think, you know, we've, even though we've both worked in communications, we've, we've taken different paths and I think we have sort of different perspectives um, that um, it's interesting just to, hmm. to have these discussions and, 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 and hear a different take on things. I agree. Okay. Sorry. I didn't want to interrupt, but I just no, no. to like sort of have like a little reflection, a reflection moment. Uh, I say we, I say we keep doing them if that's what you're asking. All right. <laughs> the, the touchy feely side of us. So we had, okay. had a couple of topics we wanted to discuss this week. Let's start with um, the one that um, that you uh, flagged for me this week, and that was about um, Ellen DeGeneres mm-hmm. and um, and really her brand. Do you want to set that up? Sure. So, um, and I every time I talk about this, I feel bad that I keep talking about this, but it's it's you know she's a very high profile individual, and it's an interesting story that I think deals at the core of it is reputation management. And so for the last over a year or so, I guess there were um, rumors and allegations of a toxic work environment and stories. And, you know, this big Twitter thread came out and people were all jumping on and sharing their stories. And then the, you know, the pandemic hit and there's a bit of a hiatus and the show wasn't on. And then she came back and did her big um, intro to the season with her quote unquote apology. And I put quotes around it because I don't think it really was an apology and um, it was the 18th season of her show. So she's coming, she's been around for almost, you know, two decades and she comes out and does this quote unquote apology that was really, you know, I've learned some things that have never should have happened. And I take that seriously. And um, anyway, that was the highest viewership she had for her show in the last four years. And since then, there was a story in the, in the past week saying that her show has lost more than a million viewers since September, and that's according to Nielsen, you know, the people who measure TV viewing. So um, she was averaging 2.6 million people, um, I guess, a year ago, and now she's down to 1.5. So she's lost basically a million viewers over that time. And I would say that that is directly related to the um, the allegations and also the way that they were handled, the, the apology, which was kind of... The word I use is a weaselly apology where she tried to kind of deflect and blame it on other people. And and ultimately, like I thought the 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 trickiest or the cheapest part of that apology was trying to blame sort of blame the public for calling her the nice lady. You know, um, it's very difficult for me to live up to that handle that you've given me. And that was basically her excuse. And so tons of people tuned in to see, it's kind of like a, like a car accident. They wanted to see what the apology was going to look like. I don't think a lot of people really felt that it was genuine or heartfelt or that she was going to make any changes. And so she's lost, you know, a ton of viewers and I would imagine a ton of advertisers and a ton of advertising revenue as well. So This to me is people say, what's the ROI of reputation management? I would say you're looking at it right here with this example. 
you know, it's, it is interesting because I agree with you that, that a, even though she positioned it as an apology, I, I agree. It didn't really do any of the things that apologies should do. And it comes down to like, first and foremost, do you even really want to apologize for something? Maybe, maybe sometimes people, they, they find themselves in situations. The expectation is they should apologize and pivot and take a new direction. But sometimes people just don't want to do that. Right. They feel like they want to take this sort of a, uh, 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 do a bit of both <laughs> not apologize mm-hmm. and apologize at the same time and i think that's what, what you kind of saw in her her comments she she lit, made a huge career off that brand which was you know nice and fun and and that uh, vanilla frosting um experience that people generally had when they went on our show but it 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 really is a window into like who she is as a person. And, and, and first and foremost, I recall here, uh, hearing a podcast she was on with Conan O'Brien. And I want to listen to it. I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. I never really heard her interviewed before. So I wonder what kind of person she is. And she came off as a, as a pretty cold and calculating, um, uh, person in that interview. And I, and I didn't think anything of it until these, allegations of a toxic work environment uh, came out and I thought, Oh, this kind of makes more sense. Maybe, maybe, maybe this, this, this isn't all, um, uh, the, the, the persona isn't exactly the person, which is, you know, should be, I guess, obvious to me because it's show business and that's what that's, that's about is creating personas that aren't necessarily what, uh, what reality is. So wait, what was it about the interview with Conan that made you think she was kind of cold and calculating? There was no uh, emotion in it. It was it was like uh, you were talking to your accountant. You know, I thought I thought she would actually be funny, and I thought she would uh, have some humanity to her, given how she came came off as this, um, you know, kind of fun and entertaining person. But none nothing, none of that came through. It was just kind of interesting. Was this pre the scandal? Yeah, that she did this. Yeah, yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, it was right, it was probably a year before that, that at least. That's odd. Um, anyway, you know, it's, um, but how, okay. So let sword. me ask you this. How do you fix that? Like if, if you're, if you're advising her, you're in a situation now where you had this bump, um, or collision and you, you went through this orchestrated apology. It kind of didn't work. And who knows, maybe, maybe her show's down because people are just not watching TV anymore, but let's, let's assume that, um, it's, it's, I think I, I would agree with you that it's at least in part due to her, the change in how people perceive her, but what do you, how, how do you advise a person like that? What do you do to fix that? I don't think you can fix it at this point, right? Like it's, it's, um, the, the damage has been done. What, you know, what's that Warren Buffett quote? It takes 20 years to build a great reputation and five minutes to destroy it. I might be getting the times a little wrong on that, but I think it's about, it's, a, it's pretty close. And, um, you know, what my, my advice to her would be take your money and go away. Like, you know, what, what, what else do you need to do? You've achieved a ton. She's won awards. She's made gazillions of dollars. Um, just wrap up your show and go live your life. I don't know, go raise yeah. ponies or whatever, no. you know, live your, live your best life. Like I just, but it's the, the reputational piece. A lot, I think a lot of celebrities and, you know, I'm just guessing based on just, you know, what I, what I think I know about them, but I think that reputation piece is huge that legacy piece. And I think that is, you can't put a price on that. So I think that that will always be a regret that she has. Um, Maybe, you know, I don't know. And I can't see inside her heart. 
I don't know if she regrets the things that took place in the workplace, allegedly, but um, what she will regret, I think, is the, the the mishandling of the reputational piece because that will be, you know, when you look her up on Wikipedia 30 years from now, that'll be sort of the first paragraph of how she kind of went down or how her reputation was besmirched, I guess. I, I would agree. I, I think you're right. Does, it's not It's not fixable, certainly in the short term. And she's, I think she's in her 60s now. So yeah, are, she doesn't are, really have someone, a long term. Pardon me? You know, like, she doesn't really have a long term. Like, yeah, that's it. You know, like, and, you're not, you don't have 10 years necessarily to invest. Come in. out and have a, uh, like a Phoenix reborn. Yeah. Like, she doesn't have the time for that. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, it wasn't like a fatal, um, reputational wound where everything blew up and she's got nothing. She still has a show and she's, albeit with fewer viewers. Um, so you're, you're, you're probably on this, uh, uh, a, decay, a slow decay of uh, of that audience. I'm sure there's going to be a core that will always tune into her, but certainly the the shine is the shine is gone. It's not coming back. And um, I would agree with you. They start looking for the exit, and what's a graceful exit? Like the takeaway is treat people well. Yeah. Right? No matter what business you're in, like it doesn't. It's easier to be nice than it is to be a dick, and so just treat people professionally and this is going to bleed into some of the other stories that we're going to talk about here today where people's kind of past transgressions pop up to to kind of you know sully things a little bit and and uh you know again it sounds kind of mr rogers but you know take the high road in your communications in your actions and then she doesn't have a situation like this you know there are there are many people out there who are um, maybe less famous but who treat people nicely and you know, they might not have the same bank account she has, but they also won't have that reputational hit too. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're going to, if you're, if your motto is going to be the nice lady, then you better, you better be real nice in every aspect of your life, kind of 24 seven. Yeah. And you know, and I think, um, you're highlighting something really important and that is communications isn't about that thing you do around the big announcement. It is, but it's not just that. Communications is that thing you do every day and how you're communicating your behaviors and actions um, every day in the course of business. And to your point, you know, the decisions that were made uh, every day in that office, in that production studio office, um, every day in the way, you know, they interacted with people. Like they, those obviously in this case, um, added up eventually until they tipped over into the public and it became, it became a huge problem. So I think the lesson is treat every, every opportunity to communicate as a, as a one to take advantage of, because that's how you build a reputation is slowly and steadily over time. Not in one, not in sharp, (laughs) not in sharp uh, events or sharp um, uh, instances of communication. Yeah, I say I say to people, it's not a lightning bolt. It's like continuous rain over over years, right? It's just you keep pounding away at it. Mm-hmm. So I would hope that this is the last time we have to talk about Alan. I'll just like I'll throw that in the vault, lock, uh, throw away the key. Hopefully, that's the last time. The, you know, we should do we should one we should do a a show where we we break down apologies. I think that'd be a good one. We may come yeah. back to her. Let's for sure. Oh, great! So I, I just don't want to talk her. about her anymore. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't want to talk about her anymore. Let's talk about her next month. <laughs> okay. 
So you talked about vanilla frosting. I think that's a great segue for one of our next stories. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so this, a colleague of mine brought this forward. So I, I don't, uh, I think I ate this cereal maybe when I was 17 once, but, uh, there was, a uh, an event online, let's say where some guy was, had a box of cinnamon toast crunch cereal and he, he poured out the cereal and a, two objects, which definitely were not cinnamon toast crunch cereal, uh, poured out of the box with his, with his cereal. And he posted a picture of them online saying, and tagged, um, is what general mills is the cinnamon toast crunch, the manufacturer. Uh, but at any rate, uh, tagged the manufacturer and said, you know, WTF, uh, these were in my cereal. Um, and, uh, and, and the company responded, um, oh, these look like an accumulation of, you know, seasoning or whatever that builds up in the Sugar. machine sometimes. Nothing to worry about. Uh, but reality, a closer inspection, you know, these things are pretty clearly shrimp tails. And, um, and this, it, I haven't looked to see where this is. The story is sort of uh, gone since, since a few days ago. But um, there, there was a, a lot of back and forth between the customer and the company very publicly online and um, him claiming there's other stuff in his cereal. And, you know, this is, I think for manufacturers, this is not an uncommon occurrence where people will, you know, they'll have a problem with the product and want to say, take advantage of social media to, you know, turn the screws on the company to see if they're going to do something for them. Mm-hmm. In this case, I found it interesting because the company um, very publicly decided to try and diagnose this or have this discussion in the public with this customer. You know, we do, because a lot of my background comes from more political communications when, um, and, and putting and applying those lessons to corporate communications. When, whenever we have situations where there's an instance like this, we always talk about getting the thing that's happening out of the media and into a process. And that way you can deal with the person more directly and it's not under the glare of the lights. And sure, that person may end up sharing your, your communication after the fact, but it's not done in real time in, in the public. In this case, the company did that. And it doesn't, it, it seems like the company got it wrong. I, who knows what the real story is behind this. But to me, it was a lesson in how to manage these situations, how to manage your reputation. Because I think a lot of people felt like the the, the first reaction of the company um, uh, was the wrong approach to this. And then when they did apologize and offered to send the guy, you know, some coupons for some free products, it seemed like they really weren't taking it taking it seriously. If if and in fact either the product had been tampered with or um, there was some sort of manufacturing issue. Now, what 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 was your take on it when you saw it? So. I have been, you know, you sent an email over saying that this is one of the topics you wanted to chat about. And so I spent about an hour this morning just diving into the Twitter abyss of this story. And it's so interesting and complicated. I can't believe we're talking about breakfast cereal. But the, you know, like, let me just ask you this. Knowing everything that you know about the story at this point in time, do you believe this guy? I'm skeptical. Okay, I, I, I'm. If you had a pie chart, the fence, I think if you had a pie chart of believe him, don't believe him. What are the what are the percentages? Uh, I'm at, I'm at forty nine. Don't believe him. Fifty one. Believe him. Okay, and 
that is interesting to me. And so when, when I first heard about this and you know, every day there's a story on Twitter, someone is the star of Twitter. Right. And on this, this day, this is like what, five, five or six days ago now that we're taping this, it was, it was him. The guy's name is Jensen Carp. And, um, you can, you know, look him up online and you can see he tweeted about this incessantly for, uh, for a couple of days and was seeming to really enjoy it. And so when I see this, that, you know, I had these things in my cereal, they look like shrimp tails. I saw the company's first response, which wasn't, wasn't terrible, but you know, they, they definitely picked a side, I think. And, and, you know, what I find curious, I'd love to know who manages social media, social media community manager is one of the toughest jobs out there right now, because everyone is just waiting to screenshot and share your your DMs and your responses and like brands, it's very difficult to get these things right. And they deal with hundreds of these a day. My guess is that the social media manager who handled this, again, I may be wrong, but might not even work for the company. Mm-hmm. Might be one of these um, media companies that that handle these things as a third party supplier. And so the that to, that to me was the strategic error at the beginning. And I know Monday morning quarterback and hindsight's 2020 and all of that, but they seem to come out of the gate and say, this absolutely didn't, it's not even possible that this happened in our facility. And I'm like, "Mm, well, you know, like that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big claim. And I can see why you're trying to shut the thing down. And then that gave him the ammunition to keep, to keep going. So I think if they would have been a little bit more open-minded at the beginning and say, mm-hmm. you know, we're really sorry that you're dealing with this. Uh, sorry for any inconvenience. We, you know, we take this really seriously. We want to investigate it. Can you get in touch with us and maybe get the guy on the phone, have a professional email discussion. And then as, as what do they call it? Uh, milkshake duck. Are you familiar with that meme? No, not. <laughs> so there's like in 2017, someone brought this meme out and this is basically the arc you see on Twitter all the time. Someone comes out, becomes a star of Twitter. And then like nine minutes later, you find out what a terrible person they are. And so, um, someone, I forget the name, but they send out this tweet in 2017 saying, you know, milkshake duck is like everyone's best friend and we love him. And like five seconds later, we're sorry to inform you. Milkshake duck is a racist. <laughs> yeah. And so this, this is what happened here. And so, so the company, you know, the, 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 the initial response was not perfect, which is, you know, it's, it's very difficult to get these things right in real time. And yeah. they, like, to be honest, like there are, there was a guy who put a mouse in a beer bottle and tried to get a bunch of money out of uh, one of the big beer companies. And I think he ended up going to jail or something. It was, so this kind of stuff happens all the time. And then I'm, I'm looking into the story and I click on like, who's this guy? And I'm like, Oh, he's an actor and a comedian and a former rapper. And he has a book and I'm like, oh, okay. Like it's whether or not it's true. My belief went down do, 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 just a couple notches because like everyone, it seems everyone's trying to become Twitter famous or that viral person. And so again, maybe he had the stuff in his cereal. It looks kind of gross. It's not cool, but then it's, it's his reputation. And so then I don't know if you've seen this part, but there are some women who have um, gone online saying that, you know, they dated this guy in the past and they basically call him an abuser and he was doing this and that. And so again, hearsay, no idea if this is true or not, but people started taking pod shots at him saying that they've had bad business dealings with him, bad romantic relationships with him, that he's stolen, um, you know, podcast ideas and business ideas and just berating people. And so at that point, I think, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and General Mills just kind of like step back real slowly because this guy's personality and his his personal reputation has become the story at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, General Mills stock price is holding steady as of now. I don't think we're having a big uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch boycott. And the the reality 
the story might be absolutely true. It might be completely gross. This could be a cautionary tale about manufacturing. You know, the serious thing is if someone has a shellfish allergy and they, they eat the stuff, they could be in some trouble, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But well, this, this, is, be- this is why getting, the, getting this kind of discussion offline is so important. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no value in, um, in having this discussion in a public forum. And I think you're right. I think, you know, either the, the social media manager uh, is, as you point out, quite often a third party. Also, it's, it's perhaps someone who's quite maybe inexperienced as well. Mm. And, and, you know, they, they thinking through the, the implications of, you know, is, is this person on the other end? What are they, what are they up to? And where, what trajectory could this take? If you, if the response is a public one, and other than to say, you know, wow, this, this, uh, please contact us directly and we will get right on this, which then makes you look like you're interested, active and responsive. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is sort of done in a private form. Uh, anything, anything other than that, I think just raises the risk around it. And um, uh, it, it would, would highly recommend not <laughs> taking that approach for sure. But, uh, they, uh, you know, well, you, I think you said it right. This is something that companies all the time are dealing with. They seem to be, um, they, they're, they're, they're essentially ignoring it at this point in time. They, if you check out their Twitter feed, they have a couple posts about this saying, you know, here's what we're doing. We do take this seriously, but blah, blah, blah. But like, it seems like they've kind of taken their foot off the gas a little bit and they're letting, That's smart. like the, the narrative has changed and it's now become about him. And, you know, we rarely say that ignoring an issue or a crisis, I'm not sure I would call this a crisis. I guess, you know, given what's going on in the, in the world, I would say this is, you know, a small C crisis or a sort of big I issue. But this year, I think if you're going to ignore something, this is probably the year to do it. I, I wouldn't say that that's great advice across the board. Obviously, it's contextual. But um, the story seems to be going off in a different direction where this individual's credibility is being eroded and not by the company, by outsiders. And so I think that the more people, you know, if you're given all the facts, it's hard to say whether you believe the story 100%, which is if it's true, it's unfortunate. But that, again, it, it deals with the thread of the show, which is reputation. Um, you know, it's it, it's almost like the boy who cried wolf. If you're going to make a claim like this, then yeah, unfortunately, your your reputation that you've got out there is going to be part of the part of that mix, and that's I think what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and you know, I would just say that I, I'm not sure they're actually ignoring it at this point. I think what they did was they put them on. Put, they they used this statement, um, as you point out. You know, we take this seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Bookended things because they're they were in this sort of dialogue which was not a good place to be in so they bookended it with this statement and now they're letting that stand and and letting the story develop further letting the issue develop further and you know the best when you're doing issue management the best thing to do with an issue is try and manage it so it isn't an issue anymore and if by further comment would only add oxygen to this and so i think you're doing the exact right thing so here's something interesting that I think there might be another another level or another step to this. And so apparently he sent the the stuff from the box out for testing to a lab, not associated with the company, like a separate lab for DNA testing to see what's in there. 
I suspect there's a better than zero chance that depending on what comes back, like if they say that like this is, you know, rat feces and shrimp elements in your in your cereal, I think the guy might sue the company and mm. we could see a whole second element of this. And so those first, um, you know, that first statement by the company might end up looming quite large if it turns out that there was some sort of, and who knows if there's tampering within the store or something within the the, the facility, but I think that could be, I think the company's hoping this kind of just goes away, but depending on the results of that test, that might make the story quite a bit bigger. And there could be some reputational damage based on what ends up. Like if they say there was something in the cereal and the company tried to cover it up, that's basically what, it's not exactly true, but that's what the narrative could be. That could be the potential worst next step for them. Yeah, good point. Mm. All right. All right, who's on deck? So uh, I think I would like to talk about and get get some of your takes on Amazon. So this week was a was an interesting week for Amazon in the U.S. There was a, a warehouse facility that they have in Alabama that was um, having a unionization vote, and it became a real focal point of uh, media attention. Just I think the fact that it's Amazon, the fact that you know, I don't know if any. It, if any of their sites are unionized to this point, but um, uh, it became, a, it came, uh, the, the employees were voting. It became a real focus of media. And as shouldn't be too surprising, there were a number of political figures that decided to make this a uh, target of opportunity for themselves and for the issues that they support. So you had Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren weighing in on, um, on you know the conditions that workers have and so on and so forth, so you know this in in some respects this is not a, a um, super surprising uh, occurrence when you have this kind of confluence of events coming together. But what I found really interesting was um, the way Amazon responded in this circumstance to the politicians. And I'll just take a step back. So one of the things that I find. Uh, in, in a modern sense, that companies who have uh, unionized workforces really need to do is take a campaign approach to labor relations. And what I mean by that is this. So I think in, in, in years gone by, oftentimes when organizations were unionized, the management of the company often refer, kind of approached situations where you had um, very public... Um, public unions that were uh, using the media and trying to shape the environment around the negotiations with public discourse or, you know, media relations of, of, of their own. Those companies tended to sort of sit back a lot and they treated the, um, the employees as their union members and the employer was really just speaking as a, as a company. And I feel like that really is putting... Uh, yourself in a weak position from the beginning from a communication standpoint because labor unions quite often are very sophisticated when it comes to communicating especially in collective bargaining circumstances and for companies to be put on a level playing field um, for the hearts and minds of people who may uh, get service from that company and those employees or um, you know maybe those employees perform a, a vital service that people people depend on if if you don't actually take the approach that wait a second, those are actually our employees too. They're not just union members. They're our people. They're the ones who have the relationship with our customers. They're the ones who do all the work and get the products to 
to to the uh, people who are waiting for them. Uh, we have an interest in in framing us as a good employer and and also and doing that in a, in a public way. Obviously, you can't collective bargain in public, but what you can do is you can shape the environment around the collective bargaining. And I think a lot of more sophisticated companies uh, take this approach. They they it it, it doesn't happen. It, this kind of communication doesn't start when the collective bargaining starts. It actually happens much before. It starts much before telling these stories. What are the narratives we want to drive, and really shape the the environment around it. Uh, and this really levels the playing field. It's not like as you when you do media training, Warren, when you when you tell people about how um, uh, you want to try and level the playing field uh, in the power differential between you and the journalist. In this case, we're we're doing something similar between the uh, the employer and the union. Mm-hmm. But just heading back to Amazon, so Amazon decided, and I and I have to assume that you don't start tweeting back at Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren without having Jeff Bezos uh, give the okay on it. But they started sort of get uh, started a bit of a Twitter war with, with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren about, you know, the company and about its treatment of workers. And, and that is, is a, I think a great conversation to have maybe directly with those types of elected officials um, uh, in a face-to-face meeting or, um, you know, sort of a direct engagement with government. But I found it really kind of a, a misstep to do that in public on Twitter. You know, and I, that's, that's like going to, um, uh, you know, a gunfight with a knife. Like they, the, those individuals, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, have such strong followings, have such a stronger... Um, uh, they have a simpler message and it, it's easier as you often point out with a simpler message, it's easier to capture hearts and minds. The company has a much more nuanced and complicated message and, and it's trying to have that discussion and debate on, on Twitter to start is a, is very difficult and puts you at a disadvantage. And second to have it directly with those types of indiv- individuals uh, in the midst of this uh, this labor uh, this labor vote was was I just really wondered what the company was up to there because um, this, that really wasn't putting them in the best position for success. Did did, did you have any thoughts on it? Good comments. Um, I, I was following this a bit in the news this week, and the guy I think Dave Clark is the guy who not the musician, but this is the uh, the CEO of of Amazon, and he was going back and forth with uh, with Bernie Sanders kind of like it, it seems to me like Amazon is you know we're talking about a 1.5 trillion dollar market cap company and it seems like a bit of a bullying move and on one hand you know I can see that I can see the value in this sort of counter punching and and taking these politicians to task but on the other hand it looks kind of like punching down and when you're the the biggest or arguably I guess depends on what tw- uh, Tesla's stock price is on any given day hmm. but the uh, you know one of the biggest companies in the world. It, it just it and you know you hear the stories about uh, workers. You know Dave Clark. There were I was reading a story today, and again I don't know the the, the veracity of this, but they said he had the nickname the sniper. Have you heard this? That no. he would be in the he would be in the warehouse and he would kind of lurk is sort of in the shadows to find employees that were slacking off so that they could be targeted for firing. And so this is one of the stories out there about him. And so this is a company where. They're they're very secretive about their uh, warehouses, and obviously the there's a lot of uh, proprietary technology in there. But the the conditions are 
are, you know, from what I hear, the, the conditions are, are pretty tough. Like if you, if you don't meet your targets, you're out. And if you, you know, there's no bathroom near you and you, you're on a deadline. Some people are like whizzing in a garbage can or whatever. And so, or, or in a bottle, which again, not, these are not ideal working conditions. And so, um, if you have the means, again, it's easy to say, maybe treat your employees a little better. Um, there was, there was also an allegation that the company had removed a public database of employees, uh, contact information from the internet. Did you see this? No. And the, the, the assertion was that they did it so that it would be tougher for people to organize or communicate with them for the purposes of creating a union. So it's, uh, you know, 80% of American households have Amazon prime, it's, uh, you know, you see the boxes on everybody's porch. They're not going to take a huge hit from this. I just find it curious that they're taking this kind of, it's a very, it's a Trumpian approach, this counterpunching uh, on Twitter. They're doing it a little more politely, obviously, but it's, uh, it's an interesting move. And like you said, I don't, I'm not sure the, how, how brilliant it is down the road. Yeah. And I think you, you're pointing out an interesting point. And I think maybe this is, is unique to companies like Amazon that are so large, but you really have to be thoughtful about how your actions are going to be perceived when you're that, when you're that big. And uh, because, you know, there is such a power differential between a company of that size and, and everybody else. And, and, you know, yes, you're going to get additional scrutiny because of that, but in particular, you're going to get, you're going to be seen as, 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 you know, as different, you know, if, if another company were to have that kind of discussion it wouldn't have the same sort of it, reinforcement of maybe stereotypes that, that they're really trying to get away from because i'm sure that um the things they talk about are the, or the criticisms that people raise are the exception rather than the rule and uh, i think you're going to find those kinds of exceptions uh in lots of places in the economy um uh but um at any rate you know when they when they kind of take this kind of public um d- debate on social media, it's just not one you're going to win. And especially with, you know, all the Bernie bros out there who are willing to jump on, jump on board with these kinds of issues. It's just not one you're going to win. And it, it just, um, uh, I, I'm not sure where, what the end game is. Um, and I always like to think of what, you know, what is my, what is my second and third step after this one? And I'm not sure, I'm not sure what that is in this case. Well, the end game from a financial perspective, I don't think they can be touched at this point. They are just a gigantic mm-hmm. company. And maybe that's one of the reasons they're like, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. here, they take some pot shots. What are you going to do? Are you going to cancel your Amazon prime membership? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of like one of those. When I, I remember when I first subscribed to Amazon prime, it was like, Oh, this is interesting. I'll try this and, and see how this works out. And now it's like one of those things, like a vital subscription that <laughs> is part of it's your like, household's, it's like, you know, uh, core, core like the function. Same as blood. Like it's like, you know, for, I think you're the guy who told me about it too. Oh really? We were having That's lunch funny. one day. Yeah. You told, uh, yeah. Um, and you know what? It, it, it just from a, not to, not to go off on a tangent, but I, I remember reading a really interesting story about when, uh, Amazon came up with the concept of Amazon prime and, and, um, it was sort of relaying the discussion around the executive table with Bezos and others as a, you know, because what they were trying to do is they were like one, there, there was a significant point of friction uh, in, in, um, in shopping on Amazon. And that was, I'm always looking at how much is the shipping going to cost? How much is the shipping going to cost? Mm. And if, if I can take that, um, that, 
point of friction. And in this case, they turned it into a re- recurring revenue source mm-hmm. um, that um, is a you know subscription based model, and unlocked you know the ability of people to not think twice about ordering something. It was just a, it was a brilliant move. And at the time they at the time they um, weren't sure if it was actually going to work, and they weren't sure if they could had the pricing right because uh, I think they started at seventy nine ninety nine, and now in, here in Canada it's ninety nine dollars, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. But um, it uh, it was it was a, a real genius move, and that, that company's done that a few times, taking things that were expenses um, or points of friction and turning them into actual rev- revenue sources. It's really really smart. Well, and now they're creating their own transportation fleet and they're going to basically get rid of, you know, FedEx, Pure Later. Like those companies are going to take a huge hit because of uh, what Amazon is doing. They're basically creating their own, you know, talk about vertical integration. They're creating their own transportation infrastructure yeah. in the middle. It's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm. Um, the I'd like to chat about the uh, the hockey referee, Tim Peel. Oh, that yeah, that was a great by one. The, by the NHL. And this is a little bit, the story's a little out of date now, but we only chat once a week. And so this, I found this really interesting. And and again, it's one of these things where you see the story and like, oh, you can have your kind of quick take on it, whether you think you agree with it or not. But then one, one of the things I really encourage people to do is just peel back a little bit, find some layers of the onion and see what's more, what, what more is there to the story. And so this one, there was a game between uh, Nashville and Detroit and uh, referee Tim Peel uh, was caught on a, on a, on a hot mic. They call it basically saying that he wanted or he was looking for an opportunity to give an effing penalty to, to the predators. And so the, the allegation, and then the mic was cut off abruptly. I guess someone in the control room was like, Oh my God. And they hit the button. And so the, the insinuation is that he made a call. It was pretty weak. If you see the call, it was not really, but you know, not that, outstanding for an NHL game like depending what team you cheer for you see a handful of those in pretty much every single game since I remember starting to watch hockey what I found interesting was that immediately after that hit the news the guy was fired and so the quote from uh, Colin Campbell at the NHL was this nothing is more important than ensuring the integrity of our game Vice President of Hockey Operations Colin Campbell said in a statement Wednesday, Tim Peel's conduct is in direct contradiction to the adherence to that cornerstone principle that we de- that we demand of our officials and that our fans, players, coaches, and all those associated with our game expect and deserve. There's no justification for his comments, no matter the context or his intention, and the NHL will take any and all steps necessary to protect the integrity of our game. So that sounds fantastic. And then you start peeling back, and I'm like, who is Tim Peel? And so I don't know if you know much about his history. I think he started refing in 1999. He's done, you know, over a thousand games and the Olympics and playoffs. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard his name a couple of times in the past. I think, wasn't he the, the ref that got hit in the groin with a puck during a game or something a couple of years <laughs> no, ago? No, I don't remember that. I think, I think he was the guy. Anyway, he, he'd been injured and then he was off for a couple of years and this was his, he had just come back to, to ref this. I think this is going to be his last season. And even before this, his last game was going to be April 24th. So the firing has less um, less weight when you realize the guy only had a couple more weeks to go. And so is it more of an act than is it more of a gesture like, oh, look what we've done to in the in the name of, uh, you know, integrity. And, uh, you know, and then the next headline that I saw that was really interesting that kind of connects all of this is that last month, 
the NHL signed a deal with an Australian gaming company called PointsBet. It's a global sports book operator. And so what they're going to be doing is that company can use the NHL's logo and trademarks. And then they're going to be, um, and I'm not sure how this is going to work, but they're going to be showing um, data, like maybe betting information or whatever during games. And so this, I think, is where the NHL's next revenue stream is going to be. And it's something that they've resisted for many, many years. But it looks like they've made their first foray into that sports gaming, um, that that whole gambling side of the, of, uh, of the equation. And I think that was the reason why they acted so quickly to get rid of this guy. Because if you look through history and, you know, the one, what's the worst, what's the worst missed call you can remember from your entire life in the NHL? Uh, Gretzky's high stick on Gilmore. Yeah, exactly. Kerry Frazier, 1993, game six. Gretzky like slashes open <laughs> Doug Gilmore's face. The guy's bleeding and the call is not made. And, and that was not, that, that was the worst call, but that was not the only bad call in that game. And so if you, if you would talk to, um, and this is, this, it's a pretty charged topic, but most people would say that there was an agenda from the NHL to have the LA Kings go forward to the Stanley Cup finals that year because they were trying to spread hockey throughout the United States. Wayne Gretzky had been lured to the LA Kings and the, that game, I read an article recently where Doug Gilmore sat down and watched that game for the first time since it happened. And he was just, uh, and here you have, you know, this is like, you know, many, many years later. And he was just like, I can't believe the, the, the calls in this game. And so that happens on a regular basis where you'll see a missed call, a call that shouldn't be. And I know everyone complains about referees and it's a very tough job, but um, I found it interesting that they just cut ties with the guy immediately but then the fact that he was going to retire in a month takes away a little bit of that seriousness to me. And then the gambling relationship is the one that connects all the dots. You're like, duh, of course. Yeah, for sure. That was, that was my thought as well. Like, sure. It's one thing to say that we want our games to be refereed, but you, you don't jump on with that kind of um, intensity unless there's a financial um, component at risk. And I, I agree with you that, Sports betting is only going to increase. Like, I think, you know, you and I have been in this um, this super competitive hockey pool for, what, 17 years now? Same pool. <laughs> yeah. And over those 17 years. How many times have you won it? Uh, zero times. I think oh you've won God, it. But how many times, times, five how times. times have you come? How many times have you come second? I've come second, I think, four five times maybe i can't like remember the most the most time trying to put it put the those memories time. put those memories aside uh, but uh, you know when when we started that the the idea of fantasy sports was was a bit of a novelty i think and now it's become huge business and um and you know you can you can bet through those platforms and it that's only going to increase so i agree with you that the nhl is you know yeah, sure. Maybe they're trying to seem altruistic, but this is about this is about gaming and and the integrity of uh, uh, protecting those uh, gaming opportunities going forward, so people don't feel like the, <laughs> the sport is totally rigged, and uh, and would obviously be detrimental to that kind of uh, new revenue stream. Because you have to assume that, and I, I think the the I'm pretty sure that the U.S. Um, contract uh, TV contract for the NHL was just um, taken up by Disney for the next few years. So 
so NBC has had it now. It's going to Disney. The, the amount of money they're getting is not huge. And so, and you can, I have to assume that the t- TV revenues are, are not going to continue to increase. That's not going to be a, an ascending trajectory in terms of revenues for the league. Um, so I think they're looking at other revenue streams like this. And so that's why something like, you know, a referee making it look like the game is fixed is, uh, is a big problem. Mm. Yeah, the Walt Disney Company and the NHL have reached a historic and innovative seven-year television streaming and media rights deal, taking the new partnership from the beginning of the 2021-22 season throughout 2027-28. Very interesting. I hadn't heard about that. Um, if you, and if you want to talk about the, the, the consistency and integrity, like, and this, this is a controversial one as well, as well, and I'm certainly not a Vancouver Canucks fan, but if you remember, this is one of the examples we use in media training all the time is the mayor of Vancouver did that re- really great set of interviews during the Stanley Cup riots in Vancouver when they lost game seven to Boston. Mm-hmm. There was a, you know, the reason that there was a riot while well, you had a bunch of boneheads out on the streets, but one of the reasons that that my understanding is that one of the reasons that, that riot took place is because the crowd felt that they had been the recipients of unfair officiating throughout the entire series. And there was, I forget the names of the players, but there was a specific infraction that was done by Boston and nothing happened. And there was the same infraction, almost the exact same play was done by Vancouver and the player I think got suspended and huge penalties. And it changed the course of the, of the, of the series. And of course, and I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying, just throwing the dots out there for people to connect uh, Colin Campbell, the guy who I just quoted, who works from the NHL, his son played for the Boston Bruins. So you know, those are the kinds of things, you know, was 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 there something shady? Was there not? Who knows? But the implication or just the the appearance of a potential conflict is there. And so for the NHL to talk about integrity is really, really kind of rich. And mm-hmm. uh, you can, it's one of those lines, I think it's the line from the movie JFK, follow the money, right? <laughs> and I think it's the same thing here. And it was interesting that that, that I hadn't heard about that, um, the, 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 the deal with that points bad company, but that made it all kind of make sense. Any, any last things you want to, you want to raise before we put this one on the books and, and look at next week? Um, as we were chatting, I, we were talking before the podcast, obviously this is a new podcast and one of the things you want to do is have it available on Apple and we'd been trying and kept hitting a, a wall, getting it submitted to Apple podcasts and happy to report that during the podcast we were successful. Ah. So it's being reviewed and it should be available for people on Apple podcast within the next couple of days. Fantastic. Um, uh, this has been, I think this is officially our longest show at this point. That's great. It's, this is, I think it's the best one so far. The first two were, really? um, I think I, I, weak performances. I, I'll give myself a, uh, a six out of 10. So good. Oh no. I thought, I thought the first, I thought <laughs> the first one's kind of my favorite so far. Well, that's good. This is the first one. This, it, they're they're uh, only going to get maybe. better. Really? Yeah. And, and it's, it's just uh. because our advice is so, is so awesome. Setting the bar yeah, high, that's right. and uh, I'm I've sent out a couple notes trying to rustle up a guest. I think this would be fun if we got a third wheel in here, and uh, yeah, yeah, I've been I've been thinking and, some people as well, um, um, and I think we can get somebody lined up uh, in the in the near future. Getting it on the on the platforms is is a first big step, and uh, it'd be fun to have these conversations um, with some some people from different parts of the industry just to get some some additional perspectives. For sure. Just before we go, uh, I'd be interested in a, you know, people who listen to podcasts usually listen to a bunch of them. Do you have a recommendation for one that you would let people like if there's one podcast you want people to know about and listen to, what would it be? That is a great question. There, there are a bunch of different ones I listen to um, uh, on a, over the course of a week. 
Um, but there is actually, again, they're going to, I'm going to, um, bring up my, my inner nerdiness. And as you know, Warren, I, I'm a part of my, my interests are history. And so there's a podcast from the U S uh, from the UK that I found, uh, I don't know, at least six months ago. And it's, uh, two guys, one's a historian, um, and the other is a, um, he's actually a comedian, but he's got, he's got a, uh, deep, uh, a deep interest in, uh, World War II. Um, uh, the two guys are James Holland, who's the historian, and Al Murray, who's the comedian. Uh, and they have these in-depth, interesting conversations about different aspects of, of World War II. Uh, the podcast is called We Have Ways of Making You Talk. And um, <laughs> if you're into history, um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely one that's uh, a good one to put on your list. How about you? Excellent. I'll check it out. One of the ones I've been listening to recently, and it's, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Lex Friedman. No. F-R-I-D-M-A-N. He is a um, AI and robotics uh, researcher from MIT, and he has a podcast that I guess he was pr- profiled on Joe Rogan a couple of years ago, and he, he kind of became kind of famous. And he um, he's a really smart guy, and he has very smart people from mostly from that industry and that area on a, on his show. But he has like two and three hour really deep conversations. But he. Uh, he talks about technology, but he also talks about life and the meaning of life. And, and it's, it's a really interesting mix. And he has some really, really cool guests on there that they're not your like celebrity list that you're going to have on, you know, the Conan O'Brien or smart list or anything like that. They're these people that you never would have heard of otherwise, but to me, really fascinating discussions. Now I will say that probably every one in every four is like just completely over my head and I have to like, you know, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And so I have to opt out, but, um, but most of them are really, 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 um, engaging and entertaining and interesting. So that's the one that I would, uh, that I would tell people to listen to. Cool. One more thing before we go, um, you know, people will see <laughs> the, the logo of our, of our podcast. And it was, uh, you know, the whole idea is like, it's a, it's a town, it's this small town chit chat. And we had these <laughs> two cowboys walking, walking down the road. I just, it just occurred to me that like, they're not accurate in terms of height because <laughs> if they were, <laughs> if they like, I, I love the fact that we're kind of the same height, but your guy would be like about a foot and a half taller than me. If this was, I, know, I never so thought I just say. Thanks to the designer. Uh, they probably didn't know that was the case, but I like the fact that we're kind of like, you know, similar in height. Too funny. Anyway, uh, great show. Uh, we'll uh, looking forward to the next one and we'll see everybody next time. Thanks, Warren. Take care. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.